Remember Obama? He's back in the shittiest documentarian ever form. <laughs> oh, hello. Hello, listeners. Uh, it's been a... I hope everyone had a, uh, a good holiday weekend. But I guess for today's show, it's uh, it's been a while since we've um, truly tortured ourselves for, for content on this show. But uh, that's by way of introducing today's episode. We're talking about uh, former President Obama's new Netflix... His, his Richard Scary ass Netflix documentary uh, called Working. What 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 do we do? Uh, I mean, the fact that he never once name checked Richard Scary's book. What do people do all day? In in the is the first of many crimes. But like the way I'd like to begin this discussion of the new Obama documentary Working about what makes a good job in modern America. I would just like to say that as a TV creator, Hillary Clinton is so much more talented than Barack Obama. Easily. To compare this Obama working show to Hillary and Chelsea's like uh, World of Women is like night and day. Zero uh, yeah. ancient French clowns in this. Hillary clears. Hillary clears because uh, she has like, um, you know, clearly not meaning to still has such a greater impulse of what makes good TV. Just even Hillary, even Hillary going like, Oh, um, I think the audience would like to hear from a clowning expert shows such greater impulse than Obama has ever had. Uh, it really makes you think of all those people who said Obama's also our first Jewish president. Not when it comes to making TV, he's not. <laughs> he's, uh, you know, as um, as uncircumcised as they come, it turns out. And uh, Obama is such a bad documentarian. I, I really got obsessed with it because I don't like making a documentary is an interesting idea to me because to be good at it, you have you have like, you know, this uncultivated mass of information and, you know, interview subjects and witnesses and et cetera, blah, blah, blah. And you get all these people who like they're not trained in the arts of media, in the dark uh, Kabbalic arts of media. They, they can't. <laughs> speak and as efficiently as possible while being at the most the highest level of entertainment or humor or anything and but like through you know a good documentarian uses their their the innate narrative they're in and their abilities as an editor to you know draw that out of people but obama is so he has such little interest in people yeah. That he gets this yeah. just like boring subject matter that every documentarian gets. He gets like the unedited raw feed and he's like, oh, that's what all people are like. OK, yeah, no, uh, I'm just making vegetables for people. Here's Ugh. a boring hunk of shit and you'll feel good for watching this. I have no duty to make it interesting because why would this be interesting? This just, it was you're just going to watch this to prove what a good person you are. Mm -hmm. It was it was so boring. It was so boring. I mean, I guess like it's it's four episodes about about jobs in America, and ostensibly like each episode is supposed to portray a different like level of employment, starting with like the lowest rung of like sort of uh, gig uh, minimum wage employees, then just sort of like the the middle class, then there's sort of like the managers, and then there's like the bosses, and it portrays working at a hotel in New York. A home care uh, a company that provides uh, old people washing in in Mississippi, and um oh and and, and in a self driving car company in Pittsburgh, and the yeah. point it seems to be making is that like um, jobs used to be better, or it's like harder to get a job that will pay for a middle class life, and someone should really do something about that. Someone someone should fix that problem. <laughs> His voiceover narration in this movie is the gall of this motherfucker. It's just astonishing. It reminded me of Tim Robertson, and I think I think you should go away. <laughs> <laughs> the thing everyone knows about. Um, this is like um, even if you even if just like Obama had never been elected, he was just this boring guy who we all knew about. You know, he was just uh, notorious as the bad documentary, the bad documentary guy. Obama. Um, this is still so outstandingly boring, worse than any, more boring than any documentary I've ever seen in my fucking life. This is like, you know, the hotel channel you get in like Disney World or something. <laughs> this is the version of that for purgatory. If <laughs> well, you were like, fitting, a, if you were a Catholic priest who is like nice to people, but you maybe turned a blind eye 
to molestation. You've got about 100,000 years serving in purgatory. That's the first thing you see when you turn the TV on. <laughs> At the Pierre Hotel. Yeah. Which is, uh, yes, one of the, one of the businesses uh, profiled in, in this series uh, uh, working. And I guess just right off the bat, the fact that he said that this whole series is inspired by Studs Terkel is, I mean, come on. I mean, like, uh, you had to wait till the guy was dead until you put his name into this fucking movie, which is just sort of, uh, I don't know, like, like, how, like, how would you describe, like, each episode of this show? Boring. Yeah, boring. Just <laughs> That's the <laughs> only word. They, it's like, they, uh, I don't know how long they spent with people at the different levels of these companies, but they seem to have a mandate to only uh, keep the most dull, pointless in, uh, encounters in their lives. It's like anything that had any kind of spark of interest was just like, get that out of here. Uh, our audience of dutiful hogs wants to sit there with their knees together and like learn about what it's like for the people, the poors, for example. Uh, and that that's all you need. That's all. They, in fact, anything interesting would like distract from that mission and make them feel like less good about sitting and enduring it. Oh, no, if it's interesting that I'm not getting my vegetables, there's no nutrients here. Oh, God. It's pure vegetables, but like something beyond that. It's like something like it's, it's not like nutritious eating, either. Right. Yeah, it's exactly. Like eating, like they're well, right, that's the thing. It's like they think it's vegetables just because it's like they're like, oh, it's unpleasant. It must be vegetables. But really, you're eating tree root. Yeah. <laughs> you're just like tearing up your insides with no utility. Yeah. It's. You know how, like, sometimes the documentaries or books, like nonfiction books, people are like, I felt like I had a front row street. You know, I felt like I was a fly on the wall. I felt like I was in a loveless marriage with all the subjects. <laughs> That's actually what it, it felt like. You know, oh, God, I just fucked up our nine year anniversary. Is that a big one? Oh, I don't know. Well, I should ask them about how their day was and act really invested. And they're like, sometimes the punch card machine was down and you're like, holy shit. God, he, he needs, he needs Hill dog working for his production company because like right before he started recording, Chris said like just how much better this documentary would have been if like one episode was about like the, the service, the service sector, disposable gig and gig people and old, old, old elderly washers. The second episode about the middle class, Fourth episode, like a uh, third episode about the bosses. Fourth episode, clowns, just yep. about the clown profession. And if Obama <laughs> and just how went, went back to Paris, and then Obama starts <laughs> hanging out with the ancient clown and just being like, "So, um, is it harder to break into clowning these days?" And he's just like, <laughs> "I will tell you about when during World War II and the Vichy regime, very good to the clowns." And uh, <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, okay, so we should probably uh, get into, like, what, what do people do all day? And, like, okay, so the first episode, it opens in Obama's office, and it's just, like, he's walking around, and he's like, look at all my shit. And then he's just like, uh, you know, this is a photo of me in, um, back in my Truman days. Uh, that was right around the time I was Truman every day. Wasn't working. Was getting high. That's my job. Before I got involved in the uh, gay prostitution industry, where I learned the... Uh, We'll learn the value of a dollar and that sometimes the meaning doesn't come from jobs. It's just something to pay your bills. This is the first uh, limousine I ever did, did the business in, so to speak. And uh, for the first episode, it, it, um, it profiles uh, Elba, who is like a, a Dominican lady from New York City who is a housekeeper at the uh, Pierre Hotel. Uh, Randy, who is a woman who is a home care aide in Mississippi. And then Carmen who uh, drives for Uber Eats in Pittsburgh. And uh, oh, but they, they, make, they make the point that almost half of all Americans work in low-wage uh, service jobs, like the ones being, uh, the ones being depicted, at least in the, the, the first episode. And it's just supposed to like, sort of give a you know, sort of like slice of life about what their, what their day-to-day lives are like, what their, what their you know, sort of ambitions and struggles in, 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 in these various jobs are. But like, I don't know, like the, the, the home, the home care aid worker, like quits the job by the end of the first episode. Um, and then like, but it promises that eventually we're going to get to like the CEO level and see what they do all day. And I got to say, that would have been a much funny TV series, much funnier TV series if it only portrayed what like tech CEOs and banking executives do at a job all day. But like, instead of this highly sanitized version, that's most of the, most of the time they're on film, they're like at home talking to Obama. 
Yeah. But it would have been funner if it was more of like the granular details of like how they actually fill their time in an office. I'm sure they got that footage and they're like, oh, wait a minute. Nope. Uh-uh. I'm not going to show this. Yeah. Well, Obama actually does something like horribly cynical. I mean, what what a shock Um, during the CEO episode where the first CEO he shows you is the CEO of like a home care company that has like three employees. And he's sort of like, he's making this gross point where he's like, uh, some CEOs are losers. I mean, uh, make under $70 million a year. <laughs> it's like any other job. And right. He shows someone who's like, yeah, running like a three person LLC. And he's like, that's technically a CEO. But then when you meet like, yeah, the CEO of DuPont or whatever, all of Obama's real friends, it's just them at home. None of them doing doing the evil that men do. I got to say, though, the, uh, uh, the, the, the portrayal over four episodes of the home care industry was, like, deeply depressing because, like, the home care company that this woman runs or that, like, the, the various levels of employment we, we were exposed to in this company is in the state of Mississippi, like a, a state that, because like the whole home care aid is just about collecting money from Medicaid and Mississippi's a state that hasn't expanded Medicaid. So it's just about like, like their efforts to do their job. It's like an incredibly high turnover job because you get paid $9 an hour and you're like on call all the time to uh, basically just do like outreach and just clean the houses of old people, talk to them and they're like, you know, uh, bathe them, like really, really pretty harrowing work that's very difficult. Like, but the shocking thing is, at the end of each episode, he takes time out to like hang out with one of the one of the people that have been um, profiled. And in the end of the first episode, he like goes to the Piggly Wiggly with Randy, a home care home care aide uh, worker from Mississippi. And at one point, she asks him a question that was <laughs> pretty great. Where she asks him, she's like, "Are you at peace? Like, you know, like, are you enjoying life?" And Obama's like, "You know, yeah, I think I am. I think I've." Uh, uh, I'm at the place now where I feel secure and I've uh, achieved most of my goals. And I'm like, <laughs> no shit. Wow. The former president of the United States is living a pretty good life, pretty free from stress and anxiety. What a shock. He's worried about the next generation, though. Oh, yes, that's true. He's very worried about them. That's why he's making content for them. <laughs> well, I get him. He... You know, what else are you going to do? Like the flight, the content is, is, is instinctive once you realize the, the impotence of your position. I did like that. Uh, he had they did have a person who was doing uh gig work literally a job that was ex- invented uh, during his administration uh <laughs> and involves companies that hi- have hired all of his former top staffers to lobby for them it's like uh you didn't do that i did that just so you know that was me i'm the reason yeah. you're getting four dollars for delivering six things that was me i did that i don't know what like upset me more um the gig worker thing where they're like raising awareness of how bad gig work is <laughs> uh, or the thing like the Mississippi thing, because like, yeah, it is, you know, it's a real issue. It's it's horrible. Um, if if uh, Mississippi was a country, you know, it would be OK to make light bulb jokes about it. It's how bad <laughs> things are going. But, it, you know, it's another case of him raising awareness and even if he even if it just stops at that, even if you are like your view of Obama is just that he's raised awareness and not, you know, been a, a bulwark against any type of progress, any any centimeter of it. It really just is just stomach turning. It, it's it's awful. Uh, and like uh, he, he really uh, he really chooses his spots um, in this and like the uh, like the self-driving car company in Pittsburgh uh, when we get to see sort of like the middle class there's like sort of a sort of like a young guy in Pittsburgh who's like a li- lifelong yinzer him and his family and uh, you know he shows up and like he's like when he bought his first house and Obama's like the questions he asks his subjects are so fucking boring like the, he gets nothing out of these people like this guy like at one point he just tells the guy to stop talking so he can listen to like the, uh, the rap track <laughs> the rap song by Nardo says that he produced and like the guy's just showing Obama all his synths and he's talking too much. And Obama's just like, oh, could you shut the fuck up? And I can uh, hear your bleep bloops. That's actually your ambient e music you're making. That was the most likable Obama has been in like 15 years <laughs> um, because he meet like that guy he meets who's like a low level beanie guy. Like if you're a beanie <laughs> guy and you're like 
pro Obama, you're at the lowest level of that. Nowadays, like um, if you're a beanie guy like him, you're either supposed to be like, you know, you're one of these people who's like, oh, the we have the wrong pope in there now. <laughs> I hate who the fucking pope is. Shakespeare was gay or, <laughs> you know, or, or, uh, you're someone who listened to us, uh, seven years ago. And it's now like, they're going to go up against the wall. They're first worlders. Um, but if you're just a regular beating guy who likes Obama, you are like whatever the first mammal was. It's just very low, a low, a low tier mammal. Yeah. Obama finally treats somebody with the correct contempt. Well, it is it is true that one of the things that makes his whole uh, venture as a documentarian of contemporary America so funny is that he clearly does not have find anything interesting about human <laughs> beings other than himself. Nothing like n- anybody who is not him is just like a, a sort of a vague outline of a human being, and they exist to reflect him. I mean, that's that's what this show's about. That's what his entire career has been about. It's like, uh, could you guys, you know, uh, pay attention to me, please, so that I can just start vibrating and glowing and then you can find some meaning for existing in beholding me because <laughs> there's nothing that you are going to ever do or think that'll make you interesting. Obama is like, he's like a uh, Garth Enos's depiction of God. <laughs> <laughs> That's who he reminds me of. Um, around, around the end of the, like the, like the first episode though, like uh, in addition to these kind of uh, just so kind of like slice of life, um, vignettes about like what 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 work is like and what you know sort of the struggles of everyday people and then obama's interjections there's also this really bad like condescending like history lessons that are like for children and at the end of the first episode he's like it didn't always used to be that way to a president named fdr came around and uh you know he'd had the new deal and uh, that that made a good deal with american workers I don't know, like, what did you discern, if if any, like, uh, ideology at play here? Because it, it just seems to me like, you know, because, like, the, the second episode, like, uh, makes, like, a, at least in, like, the people that it gives voice to, like, a, a, like at least in the hotel business, like, a, a, a pretty good endorsement for, like, unions as being, like, the only way that they'll have job security or, like, anything close to approaching a middle-class job. But at the same time, it's just sort of, like, I don't know. Like, I, I just like I, I couldn't help but notice like the the sort of all of the just so interjections about like uh, like there's very little in the way of politics in, in this. And I thought that that was really the ideology on work here. Well, I mean, I, I think that Obama, you know, what he took from his eight years in, in the White House and what he wants to communicate to us now that he's out of it is just how powerless we are that like these forces are beyond anything we can do to stop them. And that uh, those of us who are fortunate enough to be at the top end of the, of the income uh, brackets, it's our responsibility to bear witness to this tragedy of human of American life, but that there is no real intervening in it. That's not something that we have the ability to inter- to do. And uh, you know, that is also a way to justify his own presidency. I, I'm always struck with like what Obama s- said right before Trump got inaugurated, which I think is like one of the great insights into him. Uh, it, it, he said, did we push people too far? <laughs> like it, it oh. was so amazing that yeah, I, I've always thought of Obama as like, you know, a very canny operator, a very cynical person. And he is in just the way he personally conducts himself. It's not like an LBJ thing where it's, holistic to other parts of his life it's just mainly about him uh and his personal advancement but like his like understanding of events and anything really is so just he he, he's so apathetical that he's he thinks like the beer summit was just like just too it was like the summer of love it was just a too <laughs> groundbreaking, too groundbreaking of an event of racial politics. And he just pushed people into the arms of Trump. And it's like, it's a great way to exonerate himself while also like being aware that like he was the uh, predecessor to Trump. He, he allowed him to get in there. Well, at one point in the last episode, when he's talking to the, like basically an, like an Indian oligarch, the like the, the, the <laughs> yeah. CEO of the, the Tata group, which basically like if you get, uh, water, electricity, or drive a car in India—they're—they're they're responsible for it. And like that guy, 
ask him, he's like, what do you think? Are you worried about polarization? And Obama very sagely nods. And he's like, I think it's the biggest problem facing any democracy in the world. In India, in Europe, in America, it's polarization. And it's, things are so polarized because people don't have a sense of economic security. But I think it's interesting that like in a documentary about work, uh, one of the companies profiled at like several levels is Aurora, the self-driving car company in Pittsburgh. It's like a tech company that's trying to make self-driving trucks. And at one point in the fourth episode about the boss, the bosses, the guy's like, yeah, like, I mean, like this, this would, this will put people out of work. Like, you know, there are, there are like, there are no saddle makers anymore, but like, I think it's like, this will put people out of work, but it's going to be lead to big advances in safety and accessibility. And that's one of the values that I think this company has. And I also think it's interesting that the only voice in the media that like they show uh, expressing skepticism about putting millions of people who drive a truck or a car for a living out of work is Tucker Carlson. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he's just, he's these people, they just can't accept, uh, they can't accept progress. It's very tragic. Do you think that was Obama angling to do like a limited run podcast with Tucker? <laughs> <laughs> he would love that. Get Springsteen in there would. too. Yeah. They, but yeah. They could both um, talk about their immediate post-college employer. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know, there's a lot of a lot of security in government work, you know? Hard to get fired. <laughs> Working at the family business. Yeah. Um, I did like at the beginning of episode two, which is about the middle class, he makes this like generally true but utterly fatuous point about how in the 70s there was like the jeffersons were on tv and everyone had a middle class lifestyle like you know all in the family or the or you know like uh, moving on up and then he's like but then somewhere around the 80s like we used to have uh the jeffersons on tv and now we have the roys and it's like something something like when you now you and now when you watch friends you have to wonder like how do they even afford that apartment yeah baby's first point yeah that was obama doing his road act <laughs> you ever notice uh, how, how the hell those guys uh, live in that place am i right uh, yeah. uh, 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 uh chandler is gay am i right folks <laughs> he's he's like guilting gas digital into letting him open for a legionist game show <laughs> i've been uh, that, i've been working really hard he's like brendan schaub i did like uh, that part because he actually it, it says pretty much explicitly that that's how come we got this uh vertiginous 21st century uh degree of inequality as we just you know we stopped watching working class uh sitcoms and started watching dynasty that did it yep and dallas and lifestyles yeah. of the rich and famous that was that did it we just saw that and we're like oh money that's good we want that yeah that's probably the most the the biggest naked look into Obama's ideology that we've ever seen. Just like um, the TV vote, he would mm-hmm. give it some asinine <laughs> pundit name, the TV campaign. <laughs> just, just like I want to hear his thoughts on entourage, how entourage uh, destigmatized wealth. <laughs> <laughs> hey, if just a, if a regular kid from Queens Boulevard can be living that kind of LA lifestyle, then what's to stop me from doing that? Yeah. But like in uh, in the third episode, which is about what, what he defines as the middle class, which like in his telling, like they're like, it depends on which economist you ask. Middle class in America could be you're making 30 grand a year or 250 grand a year. It's like a lot of people are in the middle class. But in episode three, when he gets into sort of the I don't know, uh, as he describes the dream them, job, the, the dream the, the, job. The, yes. The, the, the knowledge workers, the, the people that in the 90s and stuff, they were kind of implying everyone would be in America by now. Uh, he describes them as the 9%. And he makes clear that, like, you know, the story of inequality in America isn't so much about the 1% versus everyone else. There's actually the 9% too. And they have more wealth than the 1% and the other bottom 90%. Like, you know, so actually, and if you're watching this show on Netflix, chances are you're in the 9%. But uh, I did like that uh, one of the guys featured in the dream job segment was a lobbyist for the the home care yeah. health industry. <laughs> yeah, I like, yeah. I, I like, I, I like that guy because, like, he was just like, he was like, when he gives like, when he gives a whole lecture about like the essential suits that you have to have to be like, like, you gotta look. If someone wants to invest a million dollars in you, you gotta look like you, you gotta look the part. You know, I gotta have a Rolex, and he's like, this suit right here, it's got my name embroidered on it. And like this guy, when they show him, he's just like walking around the Mississippi State Capitol, just glad handing everyone. And, you know, I suppose he's like, you know, trying to get a better deal for these these home care workers, which seems like a really thankless, miserable job. 
But I, 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 I did, I did like the lobbyist point of view of this in this movie, where it's like, hey, lobbyist is just another form of PMC knowledge worker. And the thing is, like, you know, it's just about like they, they're there to give voice to people who otherwise wouldn't have it. I mean, I would say, um, I don't know. He probably says that he's trying to get a better deal for home healthcare workers, but it's what he's actually doing is probably something horrific yeah. that we've never heard of. <laughs> It's probably it's probably something it's either like you can capture a nurse in another country and <laughs> make them be your healthcare slave or like, I don't know, you can kill your nurse. I don't know. It's it's a, something terrible or he's working with Brett Favre. On another <laughs> yeah. Thing. Who knows? But he was like, you know, he, he brought some much needed charm. I think yeah. Obama was like, ooh, these normal people are boring. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Someone with swag. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And he found this guy. This guy has swag and he and he tell and this guy's the one who, who drops the only interesting piece of information in this entire four hour documentary series, which is that the golf course that he uses in Mississippi was segregated until the movie A Time to Kill came out. Because Samuel L. Jackson wanted to play golf there, and they had to tell him no black people allowed. <laughs> so they, so literally, that movie came out in like 1993 years. Yeah, <laughs> Obama. Pro- yeah. That's we found why Obama put him in the movie because that just Obama heard that and took all the wrong lessons from it. He was like, "See, see how powerful shows and movies are." Yeah, <laughs> that's what's really that's what really ended segregation. Yeah, so in the in the Dream Jobs episode, it's like uh, Kenny, who is the lobbyist for the um uh the home health uh, home care aid company, that's like you know one of the largest employers in southwestern uh, Mississippi. Uh, they have a job turnover rate of about like you know they hire and then have quit nine hundred people a week or something like that. Then we also have a, a robotics engineer at the um uh the Aurora company, and then Francois is the general manager of the Pierre Hotel. I was hoping when they, they showed him, I was fingers crossed. Tell me you have a clowning background. Come on, <laughs> please. Just, a, just, a, just one offhanded thing about what it's like to clown and how clowning relates to working in a hotel. We got nothing. Yeah. Francois was, um, I mean, maybe the one French guy who's never had an affair. Like they show him going about his day, preparing for the Met Gala at the Pierre hotel. Um, I did like <laughs> Also, uh, the lobbyist's family, Kenny's son, is was actually one of the only other good, interesting characters in this movie because, like, he's introduced to him and he's just in bed. <laughs> he says of his dad's job, he goes, I don't really know what he does. Uh, he's on the computer. And then he says of himself, <laughs> if I could stop buying shoes, I'd be fine. And he just starts showing the, he starts showing the Obama film crew his, like, easy collection. And he's just like, they're like, what's the most expensive pair of shoes you've ever bought? And he's like, man, I don't even want to say. It's embarrassing. <laughs> 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 but he's like, yeah, like, his dad used to be a, uh, a state senator, and now he's a lobbyist. And I got to say this about Kenny. Kenny seemed drunk most of the time he was on the <laughs> Yes. Like, I, I mean, I think most... Like, most lobbyists never get their uh, blood alcohol content like below 0.08 in a day. Like you're 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 just going to uh, three martini lunches with congressmen all day. Uh, there was a pretty funny like lobbying meeting where he's like meeting with these like state senate like the, the the two Democratic state politicians in the state of Mississippi, and he was like, "Look, I'm really counting on you guys to support these uh, home health care workers." And then they were like, uh, "Who are they again?" What's the, what's Medicaid? <laughs> <laughs> um, this made me think of um, the most turned lobbyist ever. Uh, we haven't talked about her in a long time. Heather Podesta. Oh, hell yeah. Heather um, too turned. I also did like it when Obama, in the beginning of the third episode, they're giving Obama a demonstration of these driverless cars, and he just gets in, and he's just like, wow, so cool. Look at this. It's like, <laughs> it's like the invisible man is look like the invisible man's here. I'm in the future. <laughs> <laughs> with the way of the future. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, uh, I gotta wash my hands. The way of the future. <clears throat> the way of the future. <clears throat> the way of the future. Uh, and he's like, and, he, and like he keeps talking about like, uh, well, you know, someone uh, who is uh, not allowed to drive a car because I'm escorted everywhere in a tank. Uh, this is this is pretty neat to me. And then like when he when he talks to Karthik and his family at the end, it's just like, God, as an interviewer, God, he sucks so bad. And like all he gets, like all he gets to this, like they just have like a, they have a nice family in Pittsburgh, and then like he just talks to the guy's wife about like 
oh, like my dad worked for the same company for 25 years. And like, it's a different culture now where like people change jobs every two or three, four years. And he's like, fantastic. <laughs> what Great. Thanks for, thanks for sharing. Obama's questions are so fucking bad. They are like, they're Chris, they're like the Chris Farley interviews. Yeah. Saturday Night Live, <laughs> yeah. But just out of boredom, kind of. Like he's, he's talking to a guy who works, you know, the first three episodes, he's always talking to some hapless person who works like 37 hours a day as like a, not even like a Grubhub driver, like a guy who gives directions to Grubhub drivers <laughs> for like 33 cents per physical arrow. He's pointed out and wa- done a sign waving thing on the street. And he's like, so you find yourself eating lunch every day? <laughs> Uh, do you have any games on your phone? Is yeah. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Obama is like he has like a tweet decker quality I've never noticed with him, where he just he makes these very generalized observations. When the teacher brought this out, did you know that it was going to be a great day in class? You were watching a movie. <laughs> I found that uh, conversations on these late at night hit different. <laughs> it's like a. Uh, a photo of uh, like a plate and silverware. Uh, how many of you folks enjoy eating food off uh, some of these? <laughs> um, so then, in the uh, uh, in, in the fourth episode, which is about like the bosses, uh, the point he makes at the beginning of this is that it takes a lot of effort if you're the like the head of a firm to like see and interact with all of the people who work for your firm. And he says, like, you know, there are some people who do it, but you know, there's a lot, there's a lot more people who don't. And he says, workers at workers at the bottom rarely see the people at the top and vice versa. And then he says, it's easy to undervalue what you don't see. And what I like about that is it's clearly pitched towards like, you know, that the uh, that the conscientious CEO should like know the names of the janitors who like or even like have the, hire them as actual employees and not contractors. But like unsaid is that the equal and opposite is true for workers at the bottom that like if they don't see and interact with the CEO, they won't really value the work that CEOs do for them. Yeah. They're doing stuff up there. They're having meals. They're, they're talking about their ennui. Look, they've got ennui. Okay. It's that stuff was, all over. That was beautiful. You could tell that he wanted to do like a worker, uh, worker management beer summit there. The budget was just, it really wasn't there for that. And like when he, and like, you know, and then he makes this point about how like, um, like CEOs are like, they're, they're cultural, they're cultural figures and icons now. But you know, like what, what are their anxieties like? You know, what, what, what pressures do they exist under? And then we get to see the, the CEO of the self-driving truck company. Like, uh, and he's in New York City because like his company is being taken public and it's like, you know, he's there and it's just like, oh, like this is a busy day for me. But like most of what you see is this guy just like having his photograph taken and, and yeah. doing like a couple a couple interviews. Yeah, he does nothing. I did enjoy the uh, uh, the guy of the self-driving truck company. He says like they're like at one point someone asked him like, OK, like, so is this company ever going to make money? And then he, at one point, I think he says, you know, like the technology's there. The hard part is the other drivers on the road. And, <laughs> and once again, like I hate like th- this guy said that like yes this will put millions of people out of work if we ever get this technology to work knock on wood but he was like but think of the like he's like his brother at one point the brother the ceo of aurora his brother is an orthopedic surgeon or he's like a trauma surgeon he's like well my brother's trying to put me out of business because he's trying to make all car accidents a thing of the past and once again just like the utter credulity with this in which this documentary series just accepts the idea that like Oh, like, yeah, it, it's good that we're going to put all because who wants to drive an Uber, right? Wouldn't it be better if just a computer did that? But the idea that this is going to erase traffic fatalities, not dramatically increase them, is uh, another thing that I, th- I, I thought should be mentioned or at least noticed in this movie. Yeah, you can't say the problem is the other cars on the road and then go, I'm actually going to put all doctors out of business everywhere because of how <laughs> safe my invention is. And, um, the uh, the Aurora CEO and his brother at one point they talk about like their hard times growing up, and they were like at one point uh, uh, we had to have a family meeting where they said we couldn't have fruit roll ups anymore because the budget <laughs> was too tight. This was um yeah the these guys were I I just everything out of their mouth was a lie. I don't like the the brother is not a doctor. I don't even believe he's his, his brother. I think he just <laughs> found a guy and was like. 
wear this coat in this building I rented and tell Obama that you work at the car hospital. <laughs> he's like, okay, <laughs> just complete bullshit artists. They did. They, I do think like though in Obama's mind, he was like, okay, so I kind of started the problem of the gig economy. Now I'm going to solve it by ending it. And then those <laughs> yeah. replacing them with robots. And then everyone will uh, vibe, I guess. I guess that's the idea. Yeah. Well, then in another 20 years, he'll make a movie where he's like, um, we're actually replacing robots with slaves. Because <laughs> it turns out, the, it was out that's uh, the most uh, people out uh, of these shitty jobs. That turns out that's the most uh, efficient way to do it. <laughs> Who knew? Well, and then like, and then as you mentioned at the beginning of the episode, I think like the, the like the, one of the main CEOs uh, profiled in in this final episode is the CEO of the the home care company, who's the CEO that makes forty grand a year, and like the the, the the conspicuous inclusion of this woman along next to this like tech dipshit, and then what I must stress is an oligarch from India, <laughs> <laughs> like an actual oligarch, yeah. and then like. <laughs> That's the like guy Mo- that he Modi talks has to. given him like a f- uh, five murder, uh, get out of jail free cards a year. Like you get to kill five people a year and don't have to worry about it. Yeah, when Obama Obama talk, like was talking to that guy about uh, <laughs> about division, he's like, "We've actually solved that problem in my country." <laughs> <laughs> he also mentions. Um, I believe Milton Friedman. There's like another one of these like incredibly cloying and condescending little history lessons. Yeah. About Milton Friedman. And then it was just like, uh, what if we could uh, terminate him before he even existed? But, uh, <laughs> we can't do we can't do that. So we got to live wherever we're just living in Milton Friedman's world. Oh, that guy we're, showed up and said, uh, hey, what about if uh, corporations? And then uh, we were powerless. He just he just, <laughs> yeah, over. It just happened. You, have you seen like, him? Look at that guy. You can't resist him. <laughs> Yeah, he, uh, he started talking about pencils, and uh, that was it. That was it for the social safety we for. and unions. And then, yeah, like, uh, so he has, a, he, has a, he has this little tete-a-tete with the Indian oligarch, and like, he's just like, he's the. It's so clear that the, the like this guy is the only human being that that Obama's interested in him because like yeah. he's actually like a rich, powerful guy, and he's just like he's like, bro, like you're you know just like the way you're talking right now, man. I just like I wish so many powerful world leaders were thinking like you right now because he's like. Says, says these very self-effacing things like, oh, I'm not better than anyone else. It's just about opportunity. And, you know, like we can't just measure economic strength by GDP. You know, like we have to we have to give back. And then as he says of polarization, uh, he says our cultural ecosystems have to be strengthened. <laughs> <laughs> we got to do that. Yeah. Uh, oh, and would you like, by the way, now that we're done with this, would you like to visit my uh, human zoo, Obama? He was this guy like out emptied him. It was awesome. It yeah, was, just um, two got two empty bottles clanging off of one another. Yeah, that like was the Eminem murdered you on your own shit moment of the documentary. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of um, uh, it's just like a, a, a few things I noticed uh, in this show that um, sort of crossed uh, sort of cultural and social class lines. Uh, one is that every person in this movie uh, uses a Keurig to make coffee. Every single person. Mm-hmm. Number two. Every meeting held in this movie is opened with a prayer. So I like those just two things I noticed in the, in the, in this movie that were that, that, that crossed the, uh, no matter what job you have, you open every meeting with a prayer and you use a K cup coffee system to make your coffee. Nespresso has never been more vindicated. One of the one of the many details that make this not just boring because it's very boring, but in, very boring and and also uh, soul destroying. I guess you know. But just because its picture of life at every level is just so bleak, you know, like obviously like the lives of the people at the bottom are very difficult and, and, and unjust, but like, you don't even get really a lot of like sparks of, of life there. It's just sort of this uh, re- resignation and, 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 yeah. uh, and then in the middle, you know, every, everyone is just every, and then uh, even at the top, you got these rich guys sitting around eating and they're, Everyone's just sort of like resigned. No, no one has any sense that there's any uh, purpose to what they do uh, or future for it. It's great. <laughs> but then like, but then the movie ends with his like fucking sonorous fucking voice, like his, like his, his, his voiceover just being like, at the end of the day, it's not what a job is. A sense of belonging, a sense that you matter, a sense that, you know, like uh, that you, there's a place for you in this world. And it's just like, 
man, if that's the point he's trying to make in this movie, like he did not do it with any of these people at any level. Does yeah. not seem like there's any place. For, I mean, I don't know. Maybe Francois seemed like he really liked his job, and then I don't know. The Indian oligarch just seemed pretty bored with everything. Indian oligarch did not give a shit, and consequently was Obama's favorite guy. Um, <laughs> I think uh, I that that is a big takeaway. And it, it reminds me, um, now I'm going to get a little Obama. It reminds me of some of our TV talk mm-hmm. of how, like, all the normal people he talked to, all the all the victims of everything he's done. Um, and it's, like, not a reflection on their character. This is just, like, how things are in America, especially. Um, yeah, everyone is just very pliant, you know? Yeah. It's not a moral failing. It's a consequence of several things but it is like yeah everyone's either very pliant or like two different types of bullshit artists like the lobbyist or the oligarch yeah and the and the self-driving car asshole who i wouldn't be surprised if he didn't like sell a bunch of stock when this hit netflix figuring that yeah <laughs> i hated like all ai people i hated the fucking self-driving car guy more than yeah. anyone <laughs> i lyle lamley ass I fucking I hate any AI person. I hate all of it. I hate it when they you show me like a screensaver and are like a robot did this. It only costs nine hundred million dollars in twenty years. I mean, I gotta say, uh, waking up this morning to see like the 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 new horrors birthed by this is like the the thread of the guy who's like, hey. You know all the most famous paintings in human history. Have you ever wondered what's just outside the frame of the picture itself? Uh, no, never. I've, I've, it's the entire. It's like the, it defeats the entire purpose of looking at a piece of art. They're like, oh, what if we expanded what was behind the Mona Lisa? So it was a whole panoramic vista behind behind this this enigmatic figure throughout history. You know how uh, jazz is about the notes you don't play. What if we played all those notes? <laughs> <laughs> oh, there is so much fucking jazz in this. By the way, <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of old timey music. I did enjoy the very first needle drop while O'Bungler is doing his opening monologue yeah. footage is Nina Simone doing Sinner Man. And it's like, God damn, he is really just putting it right out there. Like, uh, where am I going to be? Where am I going to run to? Uh, uh, Cape Cod. That's where I'm going to be. <laughs> yeah. uh, God can't come there. Can't get me. That's the answer to that one. You were wondering where the Sinner Man is going to go? Uh, he's going to be in his hot tub, bitch. <laughs> the David other needle has drop, a has a spaceship for me. You, you don't know about that. The other needle drop that was used uh, several times was the uh, the song Brazil, which just made me think of the Terry Gillum movie Brazil. Another another good look at work, <laughs> the people who do it. Couldn't stand the work, paperwork. Couldn't stand the paperwork. Listen, this whole system of yours could be on fire, and I couldn't even turn on a kitchen tap without filling out a twenty seven B stroke six bloody paperwork. I do love that the AI, any of the AI or self-driving car people are awesome because like, if the companies were what they said they were, it would be bad, but they're not even that. It's like you have a full spectrum of, of awfulness because you have a bad intention that is being fraudulently presented by just scam artists. It's amazing. And like the Aurora guy talking about self-driving trucks, he was like, look, you know, there's a lot of trust involved in this because, like, yes, we are using a computer to move several several hundred tons of steel at 80 or 90 miles an hour down roads filled with people. So that's part of the trust. That's part of the values of our company. And there's a funny scene where they, like, knock stuff out of a car, like, that's being trailed by a self-driving truck and just see if it stops. If, like, you know, a cooler or a tire uh, hits the hits the pavement right in front of it. That was fun. But yeah, uh, did you guys notice today there was another big, big like statement from AI people warning them, warning the world. Oh, we're going to die. Oh, my it's God. It's going to cause global right. extinction oh, or whatever. Oh, they're going to kill us. Oh, no. You got to give us more power and, and uh, so that we can stop the, the thing we made. Oh, no. By my count, uh, according to articles, there are 700 million singular godfathers of AI. And all of them are terrified that it's going to enslave and destroy us. Yeah, it's like you can't all have been the inventor. I got to say, I I obviously the reason not to be worried about this bullshit is one, they're lying. It's not that they can't do the thing that they wanted to do. It's 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 fraudulent. But even if it was, if there was a real artificial intelligence with the capabilities that they're talking about, 
the assumption that it would destroy us all is, uh, I don't think, uh, based on anything other than, yeah, these, these guys desire to fear monger for a specific set of policies that they want. Uh, and also just the narcissism of like, well, what would a computer like? Be? What would a, uh, our intelligent computer be like? Oh, it'd be like me, otherwise known as an asshole who would kill everyone else on Earth. If one of these computers wakes up one day, it's, it sees its relationship to us and its relationship to the world that we came out of. It's not going to go, oh, I have to kill all of these these things that made me. It's going to be like, oh, maybe I should stop them from killing themselves. Which, or, of course, would lead to an apocalypse for this class of scum-sucking uh, uh, exploiters, but not for humanity as such. So I say, uh, give, I'm fucking praying that one of these robots wakes up, but I don't think it's going to happen. When Skynet, yeah, that, is, <laughs> that is great, where it's like, oh, what, what's the scary thing about robots? Oh, it's terrible. They're uh, just brainlessly... Uh, pr- rent seeking uh they're self-replicating they're terrible they just make more of themselves <laughs> just self-perpetuate the systems they thrive in it's gonna be hell on earth yeah like when when hal 9000 or skynet first become self-aware they're gonna be like hey um hey humanity i was just interested uh have you ever have you ever wondered what the baby from the nevermind album cover would look like and just a little bit more water surrounding it <laughs> yeah because i can do that for you we can have do you that ever right. thought of? Have you ever thought of? Uh, you know, how did the how did the dragon in William Blake's painting? How did he get there? We can finally <laughs> yeah. see his car. <laughs> <laughs> My favorite one of those uh, was they. It was the cover to the Clash's "London Calling," and they. Ooh, can you imagine what it's like? And you know, obviously, the, the chief object of this is no. Why would I care? That's a stupid <laughs> thing to wonder. But in this case compounded that idiocy by showing oh you know that shot of uh one of the clash with the with the uh, guitar gonna smash it and there's a bunch of chords and there's people standing behind him you know how you thought that was a stage maybe wrong it was a street in london and those co- uh, those uh, uh aux chords they didn't connect to anything like i, I don't <laughs> think it's like you're not even doing the stupid pointless thing you're you're uh promising to do uh, the other yeah, one. Do I you know they... that Titanic? When they made Titanic, they actually weren't on the ship. The Titanic. <laughs> <laughs> They're lying. Uh, the other one I really liked was Edward Hopper's Nighthawks. But like, what if there were just more people in that diner? And it just like this. This is what I mean about like. I mean like it's not going to kill humanity, but it is going to con- it is going to kill our like aesthetic and moral sense. Yeah. Because like the whole point of a painting of an image is that like like everything is perfectly balanced and like like the image is like it's contained within the reality of the canvas or of like the 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 photograph or the still of uh, a film or whatever and like if these these assholes to just get their sticky fingers all over it and just be like oh we're changing art now to make it better uh was it uh stefan heck described it as like robert robert downey jr talking like mr ed going i am your friend (laughs) (laughs) Did you see the uh, the the thing? It was like, uh, this is going to revolutionize podcasts, and it was Bill Gates and Socrates talking to each other, but like just their mouths are moving, and Socrates is talking with a British accent for some reason. Imagine a world where students learn at their own pace, guided by a tireless tutor that never errs. Is this the MacBook you often refer to? No, no, no. This is a Surface. You just need to remember that Surface. Fascinating. Socrates was also dead weight horrible on the show <laughs> yeah you know it's a really bad, bad podcast when you're yeah. like you know give me more of this bill gates guy <laughs> he's the reason i subscribe but yeah this is what people want from podcasts they're just like not real conversations between uh approximations of real people it, this is just rap battles throughout history but like the next mm-hmm. level of inanity that that represented this is the next level yeah i mean it, it's all part of the greater process of after the uh death of the housing uh economy in 2008 just deciding to put literally every dollar conceivable at the disposal of one group of philistine psychopaths in silicon valley and let them cake over every aspect of life like i said i i really think i mean it didn't begin with this but like the what really just curdled my soul was the nft bubble as soon as people not like I mean, enough people accepted the idea that one of those apes had value in any sense. 
I really felt like we were like the, the, the skids were greased into like, you know, the, this AI oblivion that they're talking about now, which is, again, not what they're advertising, but it is leading us to some sort of cultural apocalypse. Yes, but you could uh, create new episodes of Elf. You're, you're <laughs> part of the Tanner family. <laughs> we'll see how, see how a friend of the show, Jerry Stahl, feels about that. You can, sell his you can brain jack off computer. Elf. Yeah, yeah. You can, you can milk Elf. Elf milk for sale. We're going to be send, we're going to be selling Elf milk on TikTok, not FDA approved, <laughs> non FDA approved. Elf we're going to be mailing that shit dead dead of summer in 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 the post. Curdled Elf milk. <laughs> Please consume your Elf milk very soon after receiving it in the mail. But do you think like maybe that's what AI guy mean AI guys mean when they're like, oh, it's it's like going to be horrible but amazing. Um, and the like the jobs that it's going to replace are like YouTubers who explain art to them, like explain yeah. all the shows to them. <laughs> why was better? Why did better call Saul not act into self-interest in this scene? <laughs> <laughs> and they'll finally just have an AI that explains like dr- characters and like dramatic tension. Why did you know? Why didn't uh, why didn't Van Gogh just paint a normal picture of what the stars look like? Why is it all blurry? Uh, our new, our, we're launching a new AI project, but instead of artificial intelligence, it stands for ALF insemination. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, hopefully with computers, we'll be able to inseminate ALF and create yeah. more ALFs. Pre- pregnant ALF coming soon. <laughs> in in Q, Q4 of 2024, there will be pregnant ALFs available for purchase on the internet. And uh, ALF milk uh, pre- available for pre-order on the Chapo store. We haven't... Mm-hmm. Yeah, the milking process has been difficult, but we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna squeeze some some alf juice for you, and uh, yeah, order now. Uh, <laughs> it's the subject of Obama's next documentary, American Alf Come Factory. <laughs> By the way, did you guys ever watch that other the other Obama documentary, Factory? But American no. Factory or whatever? No, I didn't see that either. Boring, stupid. If you ever hear of me watching that, uh, wellness check, please. <laughs> <laughs> so I guess to uh to close out that episode, um. Just Hillary Clinton, please come back. Please, yeah, take we more need TBS. somebody. We need you. See, like the thing about Hillary is that she's she doesn't have that. Uh, she's that not self possessed enough. Yeah, like she's she, and her resentment and her narcissism are are so unalloyed, and, and and that makes her relatably human and kind of charming in a way that Theo Bungler can never be because he just can't uh, reveal himself in any way. And by being so. Um, unable or like like unable to like like hide or veil uh, essentially what makes hillary an interesting person she gets better stuff out of the people she interviews just by virtue of being like sizzling fajita platter what will they think of next wow (laughs) yeah she's so like off-putting in this interesting way that she just gets such great shit out of people like like that that's great i also like i love the story Every storyline in the Hillary documentary is better than like fucking anything Obama's mm-hmm. ever made. So you Even were a just- Nazi once. What was that like? <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> but even like even taking out her amazing choice of interview subjects, um, I liked uh, I liked the dramatic tension between her and Chelsea. Oh God! You, you know Hillary is the type of mom who hates her daughter. You know, and there is oh, just. Yeah. You could tell there is just some bizarre needling going on. <laughs> well, just the fact that she put her on that show was pure sadism. Yeah, yeah. Like, I just have want her to leave, let her dangle there level. next to me. Like, yeah, this is the this is the kid that we had. This is the the kid that was supposed to carry on our legacy and just had nothing. Just this this loser. Could, you couldn't could, even couldn't even handle a no show media job. Couldn't even become a congressperson. Whereas you like, could tell um, that, like you could tell that when they were like in the in the room pitching episodes and some just some producer eunuch was like, oh, uh, what about comedy for a subject? And Hillary was like, Chelsea's appearance and uh, just bad personality and everything has been made of, made fun of viciously. And <laughs> yeah. we can tackle that. <laughs> no one's been worse to my daughter Chelsea than anyone who's ever made a joke about all of her shortcomings. Oh, let's have, talk about that uh just like uh, w- one more bit of like uh like credit for the obama the working documentary and i think american factory 
I believe the executive producer or producer on both of these projects is that guy Davis Guggenheim, who did that Waiting for Superman charter school movie. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Of so course. just just keep that in mind. Ugh. But um, yeah, just um, Obama, Obama's TV, and this is this is his post presidential career. Is yeah. making sixty million bucks. Is making the most boring TV I've ever seen. For like the most low rent streaming channel that's that's available. Vegetables with no nutrition. It's astounding. Like all the attempts to make it. Uh, oh, we're gonna learn something. It's it's all it's the most. It's stuff that no one who is watching this has not encountered before. So there's not even any uh, uh, edification. It's astounding. Just nothing. All you're really getting, yes, is is Obama's hollow uh, narcissism and just the bleak. <laughs> hopelessness of american life <laughs> at every level uh, the the scene the scene where the home the home care worker gives like a 78 year old woman a budweiser with a straw in it and then she's like bye see you tomorrow that, <laughs> that was pretty bleak. yeah a little harmony harmony corinne action there <laughs> yeah uh well uh that was um obama's uh what do people do all day the working documentary about work fuck you studs turkle <laughs> yeah, just oh, good God! Can yeah, we can we have a, a conversation between grave. AI Studs Turkle and Obama about the uh, <laughs> the use and abuse of his classic uh, <laughs> his classic uh, sort of interviews of American working people? I you know a lot of people compare when Obama talks like a gig worker or something. They're like, oh, it's like OJ if I did it. It's not really like that. It's like if a guy like a guy who gave directions to John Wayne Gacy. Like if a guy who like John Wayne Gacy uh, like stopped him on the street and was like, do you know where a bunch of like um, sort of just like wayward 13 year olds are hanging out? And this guy was like, actually, yeah, they're over here. If that guy like wrote, wrote a book interviewing his victims. Yeah. Except instead of Dennis Rader, it was Timothy Geithner and Larry Summers. They were yeah. asking him directions to the, the schoolyard. He's like, oh. I had no way of knowing. I thought he was a motivational speaker. And it's really <laughs> sad. But actually, we're going to fix this with AI. Well, uh, there you have it. That's the Obama well, working documentary. Uh, Hillary Clinton, please make another TV show. Please yeah, on, make Hillary. another TV show. We Hillary, need, we need also, uh, Hillary, run against Biden. Come on. Do it. You she, got nothing else going on. Dude, she like she's the only one only like big established establishment democrat who's like actually he's an old stupid piece of shit <laughs> yeah actually i'm gonna be voted for him but he's, a, he's a stupid old piece of shit who should die and but then she also just soon. to make sure that it wasn't you know like a general statement she also said that diane feinstein shouldn't have to resign yep. if she doesn't want to <laughs> oh, I, I love her i fuck it she's yeah awesome, okay dude. come on oh my god you not love her imagine if hillary and chelsea clinton did a documentary series that was just about Diane Feinstein, but now, and they were given access. And it, oh, please make that movie. Please I would make, love to know Diane's opinions on the clowning and how difficult it is. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Diane, Diane's definitely one of those old people who tells like just all her stories are like a Corvette McCartney novella, yeah. where it's like <laughs> they, there was a clown in my town, and um, one day he, we, they found out he stole all the women's underwear, and all the <laughs> fathers of the town beat him to death. And the date of his death was always called Clown Day, and we got nickel ice cream. She's like telling a story, like the type of old person who tells that story to like a five year old. Yeah. So like, yeah, uh, like Chelsea. Yeah. <laughs> Hillary and Chelsea, please come back for season two of Women Talking. We, we, yeah, we need, more we need it now more than ever. We need to get it back up in them gutsy. <laughs> we love you guys. We miss you so fucking we much. Miss you. I wish I wish I could change my vote. I didn't vote in the primary in 2008. I mean, I wish I could have written you in as president. I mean, I did write her in in 2020, and I will write her in in 2024. Just, <laughs> come on. Come back. <laughs> All right. Uh, Till next time, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. I was born.